Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hour three of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast rolls along, where I'm joined by old friend Graham Coffee. He's the guy. Dog Sports. Dog Sports Live gets to enjoy just a dominant team every week. Um, where. Let me just tell you, Graham, like I'm so excited because I've been like uh, half my family is Georgia people. Like my dad was born in Knoxville. My uh, half my uncles went to Tennessee. I go to Tennessee. Like there's just like it's a it's a weird. I have a weird relationship with the Georgia Bulldogs. But what I am adamant about is that putting them on these 330 primetime slates was just a waste of time. Like Kentucky should not have been on that time. Arkansas should not have been on that time. We Florida should not have been on at that time. They are finally in the spot this Saturday where they belong. The noon spot where no one's going to watch because unless you're a Georgia fan, no one needs to watch the Georgia Bulldogs until the SEC title game. There is no reason to watch any of these games anymore. There wasn't a reason weeks ago to watch any of the games. They're boring. They're awful. They're not interesting in the slightest. We learn nothing about Georgia in any of these games. It's just, it's, it's the worst. Am I being too harsh when saying that it's just a waste of time to put these teams on to uh, put this these games on national television good in good time slots? Uh, I think you're. I mean, you're maybe a little too harsh. But I also <laughs> understand where you're coming from. I mean, I I see this Georgia team like it's definitely a, an acquired taste, right? Because like, <laughs> this team is basically making a mockery of what all of us have sat around for the last few years and said, you know, college football is today, which is like, you got to be able to go and score 35 to 45 at any point in time to go win games. Right. And I mean, even, even Saban himself was the guy that was like, you know, you're, you're not going to win with defense anymore. You got to be able to go score points. And then Kirby smart, I guess he was just like, well, I'll challenge you there. Uh, and this team on defense in particular is just so dominant that, yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about it is like that Florida game last weekend. I, too, have a long relationship with Georgia. I grew up a Georgia fan. My my parents went to school there. Um, and I mean, I grew up during the like rake off Jim Donnan years of Georgia football um, where, you know, bleak times and getting beat every year by Spurrier in Jacksonville. And then even during the Rick years when things were really good you still lost that game every year, um, at least every year when, when it really seemed to matter for Georgia. So I like that game started off like so many Georgia Florida games I've seen in the past where turnovers uh, missed, you know, missed field goals, special team errors, you know, all of these things were happening and the game's three, nothing. And it looks like it's going to be that way going to the half. But like with that defense, it's just, it never really felt, in jeopardy it's like well i guess they just keep getting stops and georgia just keeps running their stuff and eventually something will shake loose or the defense will make a play which is is really what happened you know in that case but uh it is there's almost an inevitability about Mm -hmm. this georgia team right now that you know the only thing that it kind of reminds me of in in my lifetime is like the you know the early saban dynasty teams with those crazy good defenses and uh, you know like mid 90s nebraska um where it was just like they're just gonna beat everybody by 30 points um now i'm not saying georgia is that yet you know there's still a long way to go but uh 
that's that's how they feel right now just with this defense it's like it feels like you're playing against a wall you know what i mean um and it's just it, it's almost unfair it's kind of broken all the rules of game state i mean kentucky that game it was like we can either try to go be explosive and you know come back or we can we can concede the game in essence and go on an 11 and a half minute drive so that we can say we scored two touchdowns on georgia and that's what they went and did you know um so it is bizarre it is and it's just like it's a compliment really like it really is a compliment that it's just they're not actually close so like when kentucky's keeping it close to the half it's like well no they had to unload the clip on one drive just to score one touchdown like that was it like that's all they had right um they're not actually competitive um they're georgia and kirby was not concerned whatsoever uh about any at any point in that game like he was not he's not fluttered he was not flustering about uh what stoops and liam comb were drawn up on the other side like he wasn't concerned will levis was gonna go into athens and, and beat him but it was in a good spot and we're forced to pretend that georgia is on the same playing field as everybody else um it's just not not reality and unfortunately that's just where georgia is with how much talent and how good that defensive line is that like there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can do with wyatt and carter and davis like there is nothing right. so i don't know how <laughs> i don't know how you get around that but it's also like i understand they're the best team in college football so you want to put them on good spots but for me i'm like i i, I tune out so like i'm just i'm not watching any more of these games i mean i'm gonna have to when they play tennessee in a couple weeks um, but I will say about that is I've learned yeah. in the last couple of days, Graham, that no one, uh, there's not, I shouldn't say no one. There have been a lot of Georgia fans that have watched exactly zero Tennessee this year. That the, the takes a good bit of Tennessee actually, which is good, which is good. Then that means you might have a more nuanced take. It, it's just very clear to figure it. What are the takes you're hearing? Just like, okay. Tennessee's going to get blown out of the water or what? So Logan Booker is a friend of mine. Uh, we, mm-hmm. I, I, I comment under his, uh, tweet from a couple days ago because it actually did irritate me and logan if you're listening we're cool i have nothing against logan i don't like going at people on twitter so it's just one something that i said it was just like missed this earlier but man a lot of this is just wrong my friend and he said a couple thoughts on georgia at tennessee for november 13th he said tennessee scheduled this as its homecoming game for a reason it fears a georgia takeover okay problem number one uh, problem number yeah. one with that that's not reality it's just <laughs> Tennessee is a lot of things. This fan base is a lot of things. Um, <laughs> not incredibly, just insanely committed is not one of them. Like, that's just, they're right. packing 100,000 plus. It doesn't matter how, we could lose to Georgia 19 straight years. It doesn't matter. Um, no, I mean, yeah, you guys show out for Alabama every year. Exactly. I mean, like, that's not a real thing. No one fears a Georgia takeover. The homecoming thing, I don't know for sure. But I'm just going to guess it's weather-related. I'm going to guess it's near the end with only a couple home games left. Like, I'm going to guess it's just another way to get people excited about um, a fall in Knoxville and just fun things to do because homecoming just falls around this time. I think that's really all it is. They weren't thinking, like, we need to make sure that there's not a bunch of red. And I'm like, it it felt to me like or Vanderbilt where Georgia really does take over Nashville. Like, that happened this year. Yeah, they do. That's a thing that's not happening in knoxville it's going to be 98 percent orange and white like that's not not a thing um so it i was is, just yeah so I mean, that I, I agree with you so i didn't like that and then the next thing if tennessee loses at kentucky this coming saturday there will be a lot more red in the stands than if they win also not true graham nothing about the kentucky game is going to influence whether or not tennessee fans are going to be uh decked out for this georgia game in two weeks um 
that being said, I think Tennessee's beating Kentucky. I would be pretty floored at this point if they don't. Um, just with the way that Tennessee plays. Like, there's just... I don't think Kentucky's going to be able to score enough. I think K- Tennessee getting the bye week before is critical because the Mays brothers will both be playing in this one. Tion's healthy. Hendon gets a week off to heal. I, I just... They're they're too loaded offensively. There's going to be too many chunk plays. There's going to be too many explosive plays. I don't think Kentucky can win if Tennessee scores 28-plus, which I think they will. Um, the last That's thing... That's probably fair. Yeah. And the last thing... And then he just put out, last thing, Dogs 44-10. If Tennessee only scores ten points in this game, I I, I might quit this podcast. I, there's really I I get where they're coming from. I get the forty four. <laughs> I think Georgia's going to score forty four, but I would be pretty floored. You take issue with how many points do you think Tennessee should score on Georgia? I think they should score at least twenty. So you think that they basically, uh, you know, double. Well, I mean, Georgia's season average right now is like five and a half points a game. Mm-hmm. So you think they quadruple that in essence? I think Tennessee, the like Heupel is not scared. Like one of the funny things about Heupel is they could be down 28 to seven and Heupel still going to scheme Cedric Tillman open. Like the one area sure. where Georgia, I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is out like the, the secondary. I think the one area of concern, and it's not a real concern, but it's the one area where I think that is something that Tennessee is going to have an opportunity a couple times a game or a couple times in this game where they're going to be able to scheme Georgia in a situation where they're, they're on an Island and Velas Jones is going to break one. Like I just, I would be very surprised if one of the playmakers out wide Stoops talked about it this week where it's like the talent there and with the tempo and everything else that they did it to Bama several times. Like they did it to Bama several times. They go down, they just, I watched, a, I watched that entire game. Yeah, He's not afraid. Like, they went at Bama for 45 minutes. Like, they were at Bama's throats for 45 minutes. So... Yeah, he was, you know... Well, one thing... I'll, all right, never mind. Sorry. Uh, I'll save that gripe for me. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, Heupel could be down to Georgia midway through the third, like 35 to 7. Guess what? He's not going to run the ball up the middle and just try... To, what he's going to do is take another deep shot. Like, he's going to keep taking explosive play shots on Georgia's defense. So I just, I, I would be surprised if he's not able to get somewhere in the twenties. I just would, I would. Yeah. I mean, I see, I thought that this Florida game was going to be the game that we finally saw someone like, I, I thought it would be, my prediction was 45 to 17. Uh, my partner on dog sports live, Josh, like he thought Florida would hit 24 because Georgia would get up big and, pull starters and you know you would see some some lax play in you know the fourth quarter and Tennessee would get a couple you know or I'm sorry Florida would get a couple late scores and kind of push it over so like I could see that equation kind of playing out with Tennessee and Georgia um where you know it's it's kind of a late in the game type thing I like the secondary comment the like Darion Kendrick's a lockdown corner and he's been really good in man coverage against everyone he's faced this year. Right. Um, and you know, I like that includes Traylon Burks, who I think is maybe, maybe as explosive a receiver as Georgia is going to see all regular season. Um, well, let me pose that question to you then. So when you look at Tillman, you look at Jones, you've watched a lot of Tennessee, who of the group uh-huh. are you most concerned? is going to break one. I think it's Jones. Okay. I think it's Jones. I mean, that's, that's just my opinion. I think he is he, our best receiver. Yeah, I think he's also just a little better at the top of the routes. Uh, I think he could catch someone on a, on a double move, potentially. Mm. Um, the, the thing about Georgia's secondary, though, is that, 
Like, and maybe Tennessee is the one to do it. I would be shocked to be frank if this happens, but it's just like they get to play. You know, they're, they're never left on an island, really. Like, there's always two high safeties in in any obvious passing situation because you can always get pressure with four and sometimes yeah. you can get pressure with three and you can always stop the run with your, you know, your base defense. And if Tennessee is able to do enough on the ground to force them out of that base defense, then I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen either. I don't think Alabama is going to do it. You know, it's like, I don't yeah. I haven't seen anyone this year in college football that I think is going to do that. And I think that's the whole crux, like mm-hmm. regardless of what's going on at, at Georgia with the quarterback position and all that, it's like, if if no one's able to run on them well enough to to force them out of that that kind of base package that they've been playing, then it just, it doesn't matter, right? Like because they're they're probably going to be able to score twenty four to twenty eight, and you're probably not. Um, I will but, say I have a question for you. I have yeah. a, I have a stat for you. Okay, hit me. Which scoring offense has Georgia played that is ranked higher as of this recording than Tennessee? I don't know that they have. They have not. Tennessee's number 16. Okay. And, well, so, and here's the hard part about this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, hear me out that here. Like, cause and I, let me I be clear. I don't think week. Tennessee's winning this game. Like, there's no chance no, no, Tennessee's no, no. winning. I know you don't. I know you don't. Mm-hmm. I know you don't. But, I, like, what happens every week is, <laughs> like, it, this happened with Arkansas. This happened with uh, Kentucky. This happened with Florida. And everyone goes, what offense has Georgia played that's ranked, you know, in mm-hmm. the top X number in rushing or passing or total offense or whatever it is. And they throw out, you know, it's like Kentucky or I'm sorry, Arkansas was the number two rushing offense in the P5 when Georgia met them. And then, you know, they ran for like dozens of yards and like they weren't anymore and so that is the tough part about it because it's like if you look at where some of these offenses are ranked before they play georgia and after they play georgia that's fair georgia's defense really knocks them down uh, a decent amount in those in those total offense kind of rankings in those yards per game type situations but i i think that like i think that tennessee what they do like hooker his impressed me and i think he's improved quite a bit as the season has gone Hooker's awesome he's a top Uh, 10 college quarterback this year i wouldn't disagree with that yeah i think he's i think he's on that cusp maybe 15 in my like i you know if i was to sit down and and enlist him um dude's a warrior you know i he is he is he's definitely a warrior and i think the mentality and just i mean like i don't want to be like sound like old white guy here but like he just plays with a lot of pride right and like there's players are drawn to him he's just yeah exactly he's that dude in the huddle that he's not joe milton which people are saying is a good thing (laughs) i would say that as Mm -hmm. well um he doesn't throw the ball out of he doesn't reggie ball the ball okay we don't have to do this we don't have to relitigate that uh that mess of a game two weeks ago um, oh, I don't think we have to litigate it at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's nothing really to argue about. Well, I mean, there, speaking but, of a, um, the whole thing though, is they could have beaten. Oh, they should have beaten Ole Miss in that game. Like Tyler Barron had the most ridiculous touchdown call. I don't even want to get mad about it that all over again. But like they they, I think they were better than Ole Miss in that game. Um, if you listen to, I mean, they if we played Florida yeah, I mean, again to, right total now, yardage, total yardage, they were within fifty yards of Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, I. Yards per play, they had 5.9. Ole Miss had 5.0. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you there. 
That's what I, I just I think Tennessee's just a lot better than people understand. And they've played three Heisman quarterbacks at this point. Um, Kenny Pickett didn't look like a big thing early on in the season, but like he has this point been remarkable. So that loss doesn't yeah. look as bad. And also Joe Milton was the quarterback in that one still. So I don't know. Like I look up and down the list and I'm like, Tennessee is a really good football team. They're not elite. They're not challenging Georgia. I'm not saying any of that. I just... They're they're super thin at linebacker. They're super thin across the board on defense. Like they just that's a problem. Uh, they're thin on the offensive line, but they just play hard. And Heupel is maybe the best play caller outside of t- like him and Todd Monken are gonna go back and forth in this one. Like Heupel is a play it'll, calling it'll machine. That will be fun to watch. That will be fun to watch. Um, I will say too. Would you like to guess how many times Josh Heupel scored less than twenty points in a football game uh, his previous two years in? At, or at UCF. Uh, zero? Zero. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when he was at Missouri and Georgia played. Yeah, the Drew Lockyer. Yeah, and he put up points in that game. Georgia put up more. But, I mean, that was 2018. Uh, and, you know, Georgia had a good run that year. And, you know, they were up 14 on Bama in the SEC title game. But it was like that, other than the LSU disaster that they had on the road, like – I felt like that was the closest game that anyone played them in the regular season, really. Um, you know, and I think that game really turned on like a an Eric Stokes blocked punt and a Tyson Campbell strip that he took back the other way. But it was like they were matching each other touchdown for touchdown. And then Georgia finally kind of got that special teams play and then the, the turnover to, to create sort of a two-possession cushion. But, I mean, even late in that game, like you're saying, like – Missouri was just firing bombs down in the end zone and you know it, it's it was stressful to watch as like a, a Georgia supporter um, but I, I think you know the the secondary Kendrick is going to lock down whoever he plays and you can do things because of that you can kind of leave him on an island a little bit if you need to and maybe you guys get him once but I don't think you get him more than once um, but Ringo is still a freshman corner mm-hmm. um, and I, he's probably the best athlete on any field that he steps on. There's not many dudes that are six three and run. You know, they get clocked twenty three miles an hour in practice and have like very good agility and great hips and tackle well. Um, but there's some things that he will play a little bit wrong at times. Um, and you know, I think that's the that's sort of the question, right? Is like, will he? make a mistake just in terms of like I, I don't think you guys beat him over the top but he is prone to giving too much cushion uh so i think you guys can work some you know 15 to 18 yard comeback routes against him pretty easily and then georgia will have to adjust something to deal with that and maybe that adjustment opens up something else for tennessee right it's that whole chess match that that we know hypo is really good at playing um but I, yeah i mean latavius Bernie, the star kind of position he's been the guy that that most have tried to pick on Auburn had a decent amount of success picking on them. Um, what did Auburn end up scoring on you? They scored 10. Okay. But they should have, I mean, really, truthfully, like they, they could have scored more. They went for fourth and goals twice mm-hmm. and, you know, and they were seven, eight yard fourth and goal plays, but um, they, they drove the field better on Georgia than anyone has so far. I mean, they, they put up 318 total yards in that game and passed for 270. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would say about Tennessee should do that. Of those were pure garbage time, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Tennessee can do that. I think that 
Like, how do you feel about Tennessee's offensive line and pass pro right now? Well, see, that's what I was going to say is like, I don't know how much time he's going to have to let plays develop downfield. Like, I don't know how many shots like you cannot call those. Like the thing that Hypo is going to have to be careful with is he can't dial up a bunch of deep stuff early because you can't get Hooker just killed. You can't just start this game off with Hooker just getting blasted by Wyatt and Carter and Davis. Like, you just can't do that. Um, Exactly. So... That is going to be the thing that decides how many points Tennessee scores is how well they hold up and pass pro for like eight snaps. Like, can they get eight solid ones where they give Hooker at least three to four open dudes in this game? Because I think if he gets he gets somewhere in that ballpark, I'm feeling okay. I mean, he's averaging 11 yards per attempt and he was getting mauled in that Ole Miss Mm -hmm. game. He was getting obliterated and Alabama was hitting him a bunch too. Like he he'll keep getting up, but like. It comes at a cost, and Georgia's is just a different animal. So I don't know how long right. he'll have for that kind of stuff with Javante Payton over the top, but do I think he'll at least get two to three at the minimum? I do. It just it depends on if they hit him. And if they do hit on those two to three chances that Hypo gets, then you're looking at 20 points. But like, there's just something to be said that Tennessee, or I guess Hypo, has only scored less than 20 points once in his college football coaching career in the last three years. That's pretty bonkers. It is, and I mean that—that's going to get put to the test against Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we can all—we can both agree on that. And look, um, they could score ten points, like, but just the—I I didn't like any of the the framing of any of that. So I apologize, Logan, forgot, but it really did bother me. It bothered me, uh, like it everything just made my blood boil, and I was like, I've never been that mad at a tweet in a long time. Like that really did irritate me, and I'm just like, th- th- what? No, no to all of this, no to all of this, and I'm just well, it, yeah. W- one thing I would kind of ask you about or caution you on when it comes to this Georgia defense and mm-hmm. this is something I just kind of became aware of the last couple of weeks and went back and looked and like guess what the largest number of carries any any skill player or quarterback has had against this Georgia defense this year just the most carries in a game for uh, the most carries like just any running back or quarterback just any, any running back or quarterback yeah is it Jefferson no, it's no, well. I, I just mean the number. Oh, uh, I mean probably fifty-seven. No, I'm talking about carries in a game. Oh, I think total yards. Just just rushing attempts. Rushing attempts. Like which player has the most amount of rushing attempts versus Georgia what, what, this year? What is what number of attempts was the most that anyone has okay has carried the ball against Georgia on on offense this year? Seventeen. Is it? So it's sixteen. And okay. It was Kevin Harris for South Carolina. Hmm. He had he had sixteen carries for thirty one yards. Um, but my point in saying that is like watching. You know, I I was looking at just going back and looking at that Ole Miss game and Hooker carried the ball twenty three times for one hundred and eight yards. Uh, you know, it took Anthony Richardson essentially twelve carries to be knocked out of that game on Saturday, and he's built like a brick house right he's 6'4 240 yada 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 um going back and looking at that georgia kentucky game it's like rodriguez is i think we'd agree one of the more physical backs in the conference they only gave him seven carries they gave smoke five carries in that game um you know levis had 10 carries but some of that sack yardage but point being it's just like from a actual kind of physical well-being standpoint coaches are watching what's happening in game with this georgia rush defense and they're they're purposefully limiting the amount of carries that 
they're letting their their best players get you mm-hmm. know um you look back at that arkansas game and um oh my god what's the uh Traylon smith you know mm-hmm. they're they're good running back like three carries for four yards um and they they had six guys that got carries in that game and so teams i think are really trying to limit the body blows that georgia puts onto their best yeah. players to preserve them for the rest of the season the <laughs> yeah. conference games that i think are you know probably a little more winnable in their minds but it's interesting for tennessee because it's like after georgia it's south alabama and vanderbilt mm-hmm. you guys should win any of those games so i mean i think for tennessee it's you know you can go a little more all out and maybe maybe you do try to run hendon hooker at this georgia defense so you know if he dies he dies times right i mean i hope not but um yeah I, I we're just, down I to two quarterbacks that, so yeah uh harrison's yeah, not gone well yet. in that okay I, I kind of forgot about that so i mean that's another element to consider in this game it's just like i think a lot of what hypel does a lot of what Georgia's seen for the last month. I mean, like with Anthony Richardson, right? Everything that that Florida did with him successfully was all predicated on him being a running threat. And once that gets taken away, things get a lot easier for those linebackers. And they're a lot better with their eyes and they're a lot better making, you know, decisions and, and dropping into coverage and not letting guys get behind them and kind of get between them and the safeties for seam routes or wheel routes to the sidelines. Uh, so I, I think that's the interesting thing kind of to watch probably going into that game is like, does, does Heupel, is he able to find ways to, to just kind of keep hooker as a decent running threat at times? Cause I would have to go in and look, but like with, with Richardson going into that game last week, he was averaging about 15 yards off play action attempts, but five yards on traditional dropbacks. Um, and that's a problem because you can't really run a ton of play action on this Georgia defense. So it's, you know, I, we don't do a lot of that though. Do you not? Okay. Well, but I mean, I'm including like just some of those like QB power kind of fakes as play yeah. action or just like fake pitches, not necessarily your traditional long rollout to the, you know, outside the hash or towards the hashes and, kind of have a six seven second window in the backfield but just, just i mean we'll see qb draws we'll see if we draw georgia in on that where he does the quick drop back because hookers he's quick and he makes quick decisions on running so like he's just a lot smart like milton's more built for this kind of brutality in this game but like hooker is just a smarter runner and knows when to take off and a lot of them don't seem very designed it's more of like hey if it's there just go ahead and do that um milton had more design runs uh, in the packages with him early this season, but right, um, I don't know. It's just going to be a lot of quick stuff. I think it's going to be a lot of side to side and hoping that some pick plays work. Um, we're going to hold a lot. Uh, will be my guess. <laughs> we're going to do a lot of illegal screens um, out wide. Uh-huh. Uh right. I think Which that everyone has. Yeah, and I think that's what they're going to do. And people are going to be like, I, I, I would do it if they're not going to call it. So I would bet on that. But I am concerned because Hypel, the biggest thing that's driven me nuts lately, has just been like these third and fourth and shorts where he'll it's mostly third and one where he'll still run it up the middle and it's just like Jabari uh-huh. small like just the dumbest stuff like i it, it's you're so smart like you're so smart and then he'll do these dumb things it, tennessee fans um who are listening are just like yeah the, we're banging our heads against the wall where he would call these third and one sh- like, like a scat back yeah and- 
Jabari oh Small God. up the middle is just a halfback dive right there, and it's just, what are we doing? There, the, There's no push. Our <laughs> offensive line's get, not getting this kind of push. And, I mean, if it was Tion, I would get it a little bit more, but he's been basically unavailable the last few weeks. So, I don't know. I, I did not – I have not enjoyed his third and short calls, but I don't think they're going to be in a lot of those against Georgia. I don't think they're going to be in a lot of third and one. I don't think they're going to be able to do second and eight – third and five whatever like i don't think that's how tennessee puts any points on george i think it's going to be several three and outs and then hoping that they hit a, a big play every now and then i will say i don't know what the over under yeah. is on a block punt for this game but i would bet i might bet on uh, tennessee getting a block punt in this one tennessee is really good about this like they're gonna do something weird in this game where you're gonna be like oh i, I, I think we did it. that last year too didn't we block the opening punt or something what something happened it was two years i think it was two years ago maybe. no it was last year because it was in uh it was in uh athens in the rainy game oh, no it wasn't the. it was uh, over the head it went over your head snapped it over bennett's head yes first play i was mm-hmm. at that game actually um it was the only football game i went to last year but um i had tickets i didn't want to go down for that sadness i was just like i did not i uh, mean you guys were in the lead at halftime um you know i, I think this game though like I could see this game being a lot like the last time Georgia went to Athens back mm-hmm. in 2019, where you know Tennessee comes out and schemes up some shots early and um, is able to put a couple nice touchdown drives together, and then maybe Georgia settles down and adjusts, and they're able to you know stymie that a little bit more. Um, I I think you know the the underrated thing about this Georgia defense is just they speed everyone's clock up so fast that they almost force quarterback like they force good quarterbacks that don't make bad decisions into making bad decisions because there's just not enough time sometimes to to process um and truthfully the teams that i've seen kind of play best against georgia on offense have been the teams that their quarterback is willing to just take a, a seven or eight yard sack instead of trying to force something out to a running back in the flat and get it picked off or, you know, do something stupid downfield. But I, this game, I think, you know, there's a, a decent level of anxiety about it in the Georgia fan base. Um, and I love Logan and he's one of the better, you know, Georgia media people out there just in terms of human being. I hope he's not mad that I went in after that tweet. I'm sure, I'm sure he's not. I don't feel, um, it was not coming from a place of, um, of hate or anything like that it was sure. just that it was no, just it, picking it, it, apart it this particular tweet way. okay yeah but i i think that's the like that's the question right uh for georgia fans is what happens if you get into a shootout mm-hmm. and my thing with georgia right now truthfully and maybe tennessee will cause me to change my thinking on this but just from what i've seen right now so far it's like i think as long as this front seven stays healthy they probably win a national title um oh don't do this don't equal. do this Take no, it week no, by I'm week. Just, Karan, take it week it, by week. I've taken it week by week. But my point being, like, just just look like, you know, I go back and I do film reviews of all these games, and it's just like, shit, I don't know how you do I mean, this, I agree with you. The problem, the problem here, right, is like, I, and I'm shocked we've got this far into this conversation without you, uh, you know, bringing up sets and Bennett versus JT Daniels. <laughs> and I'm really fascinated to mm-hmm. see what happens against Missouri because I think, like, it's going to be Maybe Stetson just, again. I I hope it's Daniels, but I will say that this offensive line has struggled in stretches this year, and I think that having Bennett's legs has bailed them out of some 
some situations that, Mm -hmm. you know, would have been ugly otherwise. And I think that, you know, might be why they continue to roll with Bennett. But, like, I could see – I think the the level of anxiety around this Tennessee game would be lessened for Georgia fans if Daniels was to start against Missouri this coming week and – do what but do you actually think, think that's what's going to happen against that defense you have to guess right I now think it's, I... you know you want to do it you know you want to do this <laughs> uh man you need to prepare yourself I, I for I this being stetson's team the rest of the way no i was look look man i've been like pretty team Stetson before mm-hmm. this past week because he hasn't he's made good decisions and shit he was throwing down you know 12.2 yards an attempt and murdering people off play action and extremely accurate he's not a game field. manager he no, does he's, stuff he's, he's not no no and I mean he's very dynamic with his legs in ways that people don't realize um, I mean they've clocked him at 20 miles an hour in practice like you saw some burst against florida on saturday where he just like mm-hmm. rolled rolled out and outran brenton cox and then gashed them up the middle for 20 yards but I, I mean like i think that you know if the defense continues playing like it does then it can be stetson's team and maybe that doesn't end poorly but i think that like if jt daniels comes back and plays the way that everyone i think thinks he should that this team can can kind of beat anybody by a decent margin, and I would include Alabama with that in Atlanta. You know, it's like I think that uh, watching what Tennessee did to them on offense is a great example of why, right? Um, so I, I don't know. It, it's a very fascinating thing, but it's like, you, you know, you're a Braves fan, so you get some of the Atlanta sports, uh, like that, that constant feeling of the inevitable other shoe drop coming mm-hmm. down the road we're uh, experiencing that, it this week uh with atlanta the braves right 100 percent, man i mean as soon as the braves went up for nothing in the first inning you could just feel like the entire fan base be like oh god how are we gonna blow this you know mm-hmm. um and i mean like i've been very vocal that i feel like people just need to to have some positive vibes here man because at the end yeah, of the just day, enjoy like, this. You never know how long this is going to last. Like, just right, enjoy it. Enjoy it, and also just maybe you know, maybe like some some group consciousness in a positive direction may help this whole situation. Um, you could be Washington, if, who's bragging about uh, what was it? What kind of athletes are they recruiting? Uh, and, oh, the smart kids. Yes, but he he framed it in a really weird way, and a really it was he it did. was incorrect. And the grant, like the whole sentence structure, everything that uh, it was it was uh, an iconic Jimmy Lake quote. I highly encourage the folks to check out. So it could Dude, be worse. He's, he's pretty bad, man. There's uh, a lot of bad coaches, and then we have like Clay Helton out of nowhere going to Statesboro, going from Los Angeles. Dude, to talk Statesboro. about a cultural. Uh, like a terrible <laughs> cultural fit. I mean, my thing like with coaching right now, just because of Pittman and, you know, some of the hires that we've seen lately that everyone could kind of like trash that have gone well. Uh, I think like find, find a cultural fit first and foremost, and then worry about everything else after that. But if, if the coach isn't a cultural fit, it's always going to be a non-starter for the most part. Um, so it's like I see Clay Helton get hired to go to Statesboro, and I'm just like, well, 
you know, this thing's going to blow up on the launch pad. Um, and I feel like Hypel, I mean, like, how is, how is Hypel, how's the fan base taken to Hypel so far? He's one enough. I think they're all pretty defending. Like, his, that's BS, uh, getting caught in the hot, hot mic last week. It's pretty good. Or two uh-huh. weeks ago now. Um, he's getting a little bit feistier, which I think is good. Um, no, I think it's just fun. Like, he, the offenses are fun and, like, Neyland's rocking and just the the way they were playing before this and I think it took it took a while for some SEC fan bases to get on board with where college football was going and they're like the defense 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 and Tennessee was particularly more difficult because the John Henderson Al Wilson all that kind of stuff era like it's hard to turn the page on that um and Pruitt was just trying to redo all of that (laughs) so to go back on that uh is is tough but um it's just fun and they're in every game it doesn't feel like you're ever out just even if you're down 28 to 7 um hypo they just believe in as a schemer and i think when you talk about cultural fit that's what i would look for first is like if this coach's like his staff gets picked apart uh, for other jobs is he a good enough schemer is he a good enough offensive mind to keep this thing rolling um or is he a good enough defensive mind is he a good enough recruiter to make sure that you can withstand player and staff overhauls like that's something i think a lot of staffs run into where it's like oh you hired a great guy and then it's like well what happens when joe brady leaves what happens when uh, gus malzahn leaves what happens when x person leaves and then you're just left with this person so if you hire someone it's like the ceo type but then he can't keep his staff because you don't pay the staff enough to keep them then it it's over like it ends on a dime so i think hypo I'm not sure about the recruiting yet. And that's what scares people the most is that like, you're seeing this with your guy, Dan Mullen is like, ultimately you can be a great <laughs> offensive mind, but like, if you're not recruiting at a, an elite enough level, like it's going to start to wear on the fan base and it's going to show on Saturday. So, um, yeah. I think I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing for me back in, you know, a few days before the season started. Um, you know, I like, I was on the Florida goes eight and four train mm. and I took a lot of heat on that. So I got to say the last couple of weeks have, have felt pretty good for me. Um, I'm curious what they do. Good. Cause like, this is not a good time to fire Mullen if you're Florida, because like, no, it's not USC's open. LSU's open. Um, Penn state might come open. If uh, Franklin takes one of the, like, it's just, right. they, they're not going to be at the top of the list for a lot. And they should be cause it's Florida and like Florida should be an elite, elite job. But it just hasn't been in the lot they've whiffed in their last three hires. Um, well, yeah, and I I think the question is like, do you trust Scott Strickland to hire another head football coach? Because that's a whole other problem, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think the AD is on the hot seat as well, and that complicates things because uh, you don't want to, you know, make a, a hire of a new football coach and fire the AD six months later or a year later, and then you've got two guys who weren't planning on working together. That usually ends poorly for one party or both um so yeah i mean it's it's going to be very interesting to see sorry my dogs are barking in the back they know the braves are on they do they do and they know my wife is pulling up in the driveway um but yeah i mean i I think the the whole florida thing my position on it is also that their recruiting class is so bad right now and with the early signing period nowadays like firing a coach basically means you have a a gap year in recruiting where things are bad because of you know it's it's just impossible to install somebody and go out and get ready for that early signing period so it's like maybe you just rip the band-aid off because you're gonna sign a recruiting class in the 
like low teens top like you know low teens high 20s anyways so maybe you just get rid of it and say at least we do it once instead of twice in a row when we fire him next year yeah i don't know i would probably run it back just because of how close they were last year i would just be like grantham has to be gone you have to complete like i just don't understand the recruiting stuff because i've listened to godfrey talk about this and different mm-hmm. people who are more plugged in on recruiting than myself and it's just it seems like everyone's just baffled like elliot godfrey everyone's just can they, they don't understand why mullen doesn't recruit well and then his stuff this week about recruiting time's not here yet and it's just i don't understand it like that part to me i've never gotten a grasp on because i don't actually believe he believes that like he's too smart and he's been too involved in uh in college football to know that, that, that any of that's the case and for him i just i was in the family group chat about this where i was like if uh-huh. mullen just stays at mississippi state forever like he's regarded as like one of the best college football coaches of all time like he if he just maybe if he stayed like he got mississippi state to number one in the country like that's just right. preposterous like I, if you look at the history of that program winning in starkville winning the sec west it's almost impossible it is almost impossible to win there um it is if he but, stays there, he's a king forever. It sometimes there is something to be said about being the big fish in a small pond versus going into the the big pond and you're like, Oh, I've got Kirby and I've got uh, all this other stuff around me where I, I have to recruit sure. my tail off all the time. Like and yeah. I don't know. People don't just use me as entertainment until yes. you know, basketball season. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I mean, like I think Mark Stoops, man, I mean, I've heard other people make this argument and I think it's pretty sound. Like he may have the best gig in the country, you know, he gets paid like a SEC head coach. Mm. Um, but you know, get, win the best win gig in the country. Hmm. Like think about it, man. I mean, you win eight up there. Yeah. Folks are really, really happy. You win 10 and go, beat like a shitty Penn State team in the Outback Bowl. They're ecstatic, um, which he's done a couple times, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of like just job security, fan pressure, uh, not having to worry about going out in public and having somebody like talk smack to you in front of your children or something like that, you know, I just, I think it's an easy, not easy, but I think I think it's a good gig. I think he's got a, a pretty nice setup there and why mess with it? Um, That's fair. And, you know, and, and maybe who knows, man, it's like maybe one year you catch Georgia and everything else falls together. And I mean, they caught him last year. Who, Kentucky? Or excuse me, Florida. Well, I'm saying, yeah, that could happen. Like so they, Georgia right, can right. be caught. Yeah, I mean, they've beaten Florida twice in the last four years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that like, you know what? And I, and I thought they played Georgia as well as anybody actually so far this year. Um, mm-hmm. Up until Especially the, up the Tennessee Volunteers. Until yeah, sure, we'll see. <laughs> but, Clearly, like no. it's it's very likely that Tennessee scores the most points on Georgia in the regular season. I think that's a fair. I guess. think that's very very likely. Yes, I mean if they score fourteen, then they will have scored the most points. On there we go, mission accomplished. Raise the banner. I would be in favor. Like of that. I don't see Missouri scoring very well. No. on Saturday. No, no. Uh, Georgia Tech, likewise. And mm. then it's just Tennessee and Charleston Southern left on the regular season. Ooh, schedule. Charleston so, Southern though, you gotta watch out yeah, for them. You gotta watch out for the. <laughs> yeah. The, so before we before we hop off here, yes, because I know we both want to go watch the Braves. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna do forty uh, more minutes on Dan Mullen. <laughs> I mean, I can if mm-hmm. you want to, but uh, I think your your listeners may may grow tired of of my Dan Mullen takes. Um, but yeah, 
So the CFP rankings came out. I'm mm. very curious to to you know get your your reaction and opinion on them. We knew this was coming. Cincinnati going six. Like we knew the there, that it, was higher than I thought they might be truthful. Okay. When the report came out from Heather Dinich about like oh people like I forgot what the exact verbiage was, but when it came out, it's like oh this this is out. Like the source is already laying the groundwork that this is this is happening. But people were just like penciling in Cincinnati as a playoff team for weeks, and I was like they're not a playoff team. What in what world? Like a lot more has to go wrong here. Like a lot more has to happen um, in the Power Five for them to get in. And right now, it's not looking good because when you look at it. It's so hard because, like, one of the weird things is Ohio State, I think, is the second best team in the country, but I think you can't put them anywhere near that because of the loss to Oregon. I don't think Oregon's even the best team in the Pac-12, and they're number three. Best team in the Pac-12. Say it again? Who do you think is the best team in the Pac-12? Well, it depends on the week, number one. I don't know if you well, keep fair. it with I don't know if you keep it with a lot of Pac-12 football. Right I mean, now. I'm in the mountain time zone, so I get a lot, you know, Pac-12 after dark is like eight o'clock for me. Uh, so I do I do watch a lot of Pac-12. Well, like Oregon State's football. really good. Like Oregon State could beat Oregon to close this year. They did it last year, yeah. Um Cal of course then just beats the crap out of Oregon State <sighs> out of nowhere. Um, UCLA before DTR fell off, like they were good or like out of the gate. I think Utah is probably my pick for the best team in the Pac-12. Like if I had to, if I had to say one of the, one of the group who I would bet on the most, it would be them. But I also could see, like I could see Oregon State being Oregon, but either way, Anthony Brown is not leading the Oregon Ducks to any type of postseason success. Like it's just not a, it's not going to be a good luck. Um, I would keep them out. Also, do we look at Oklahoma completely differently if Caleb Williams starts from day one? Like, I think that is part of the problem Indeed. here. So, so when people are talking about like them struggling with uh, Tulane, I'm like, have y'all watched Caleb Williams the last two weeks? Have you seen what this man is? Well, like, but they struggled with Kansas. Caleb Williams a little bit, a little bit. And you don't just walk into to Lawrence, Kansas with the the Lance Leopolds of the world, and you don't just walk I mean, over. The Kansas I was Jayhawks. shocked that they put an undefeated Oklahoma at eight behind. Mm-hmm. That's too low. A one-loss Michigan. Yeah, they're better than Michigan. I mean, they, they're behind Cincinnati. They're behind a one-loss Ohio State. They're behind a one-loss Oregon. They're behind a one-loss Bama. But I will say that I kind of respect it because it's like if Georgia, I feel like. You know, well, how about this? Who is your four? Who do you think are the four best right now? If you had to do one through four, the best. Like if you had to guess on a neutral site favored wise like who are the four best in order right now well i mean if you're gonna just go off of who's gonna be like favored in vegas then just basically follow the the talent composite rankings from 24 7 sports (laughs) have your answer most of the time so and i mean that's that's been my issue like that was my issue with the cfp last year Mm -hmm. it wasn't that ohio state wasn't necessarily deserving but it was like well they played you know five games or six games whatever it was and you know if they were you know, if that was a six-win team from the Big Ten that was, say, you know, I don't know, Purdue or somebody like mm. that that didn't have the the built-in just like we all know they're talented, I think it gets handled very differently. Um, but, I mean, I think that I would put Georgia, obviously. Uh, I would go OU. Mm. OU over I, Ohio State. I would, yeah. With okay. Williams, a quarterback, I would. CJ Stroud's um, pretty, pretty good. He is, but Ohio State struggled with Penn State, uh, and they struggled. Penn State's the good. Ball Penn State. Brett Pry is a great DC. 
But they just lost to Illinois, man. They did. I mean, not really. That overtime stuff is just... I mean, they gave up like three-something on the ground to Illinois. Sean Clifford's not healthy. Like, Penn State was a playoff team before everything went to crap. That's not a bad loss. They gave up 300-something on the ground to Illinois, and... Bielema, a a case of the Bielema will get you every now and then. But Ohio State wasn't able to run the ball consistently on Mm -hmm. I thought that was telling. Um, And that's kind of where my doubt comes from. Okay. So, so I would, you know, uh, OU and Ohio State, I could flip a coin over. Um, I guess Bama, you know, I, it's tough, right? Like, I, I think this is the least impressive Bama team that I've seen in a they're long They're clunky. Time. They are. They are. And I think they're not very – there's no one dominant on the line of scrimmage, really, for them. Um, I don't I think, think Bill O'Brien's as imaginative as Sark no, and Kiffin were. And I think we that's all the knew thing. That was coming, right? Yeah, but that's what I was telling people. I'm like, you got to watch these Bama games. I'm telling you, there's just, there's, you can feel the Bill O'Brienitis watching these these possessions. Like Bryce Young's right. amazing, but like, this is not the same Bama team. This is not the same looks that you've been getting. Like, this is not the same offense that you saw last year just throttle people. It's it's a different thing. But you know what kind of blew my mind, man, is like. Mississippi State is number 17 at Mm. 5 and 3. That shocked me a little bit. And I know they beat A&M and that loss looked much – or that win looked way better a week later when A&M went and beat Alabama. So it's like I I get the reasoning on putting them at second because they have wins over number 14, number 16, and number 17. Um, But at the same time, it's just like I don't know. I – like the the football fan in me is like, you know, I, I love seeing Michigan State at number three at eight and zero. I, obviously, I'm a, a Mel Tucker guy from his time at Georgia. Makes me happy. Um, I like. I do think that having Oklahoma at eight is half because they struggled with Kansas and Tulane. It's also, I think, half because they're the the playoff committee is tired of putting them in and watching them get blown out in the semifinals every year. Um, I would love to see what happens if Wake Forest runs the table. Just... That's not going to happen. Man, the ACC is really bad, though. Like, it is bad, but like they're just know. Wake Forest is not. I think it was like a one percent chance per S and P plus um, last right. week for them to do it. Like it's, I love watching Wake. The Wake Army game is one of my favorite games I've seen this year. Um, that was a blast, wasn't it? It was. It was a ton of fun. Well, I think um, you're like me, where I enjoy a lot of other stuff. Like, a lot of the SEC games are atrocious. Like, I expand my palate uh, a lot. And there are people who spend... Yeah. They spend three hours watching Georgia football on Saturdays, which I just... What are you doing, folks? There's <laughs> oh, all kinds of great too. stuff out there. But, you know, I have multiple screens and... and no, you can't I do like that either. Watching. I'm not a multiple screen guy. You got to do one at a time. Oh, you're not on. getting anything if you're doing multiple screens. Then you learn nothing. There's you're, just so much that happens, though. It's like... Sometimes two games come down to the wire like mm-hmm. simultaneously, and I don't want to miss one, you know. And I mean, like especially in college football where the ball is only in play for, you know, a matter of like twelve minutes out of the three and a half hour broadcast, mm-hmm. you can kind of switch around your attention and and keep up with things. But I mean, I I still like with Alabama and all this, you know, I I'm still very eager to watch them play Auburn. I think Auburn is. They're feisty. really well right now, and they're feisty. And, like, Bo Nix, when he's, like, on on one, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's like he can be – he's a type of player that can 
just create really unique challenges and sort of take a game over with his agility. He can um, be a poor man's uh, hidden hooker, people are saying. He can be a poor man's Johnny Mansell, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I think Georgia's going to crush Bama in the title game. Man, everything that I've watched on tape tells me that, but like emotionally, I can't really. Like, See, that's where I'm at. Like, if that. you're not going to beat this Alabama team, if you're not going to crush this iteration of them, I think it just is like I'm, I'm not sure if it's ever happening. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you also are we sure the Bama Georgia does? Are we sure can Texas A&M not get in? Are they like eliminated from the SEC title? I, game? I, I'm not willing. Oh no, 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 no! They definitely still can. I was going to uh, say because I, mean, if they I wouldn't Auburn rule them out. Weekend, mm-hmm. Yeah, if they beat Auburn on Saturday, and then Auburn goes and beats Bama, I'm pretty sure A&M goes. Yeah, so, well, then they have beat Ole Miss the following week. They get at Ole Miss the next week, which is that's a brutal back to back. That is a brutal back to back. I mean, I I think it says a lot though that like as a Georgia fan right now, um, I think I'd rather see Alabama and Atlanta than A and M. I would agree. Yeah, and you know, and I also think that Alabama or that A and M. It's like I know they gave up a lot of points to Bama, but they've got some dudes on defense that. Or you know can kind of make those like game wrecking plays like O'Neal, um, and I forget their safety's name, but he's very very good as well. And like they you know they really got pressure very very consistently against Alabama, sometimes just with three. And so I look at that and I'm like, yeah, I would rather see Alabama with Bryce Young, who I know because I follow SEC Stat Cat on Twitter. You know, averages five to six seconds in the pocket before he throws. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that ain't happening against this Georgia front. You know, maybe it will because Bama is never going to get holding called on him. But still, it's like, I think there's enough, you know, Georgia has enough to speed up that clock pretty significantly. So the question becomes like, what happens to Bryce Young if he's got three seconds to throw the ball? And I think Jamison Williams is really, really good. But the rest of that receiving core hasn't been as dynamic as I think we would traditionally expect, you know? So yeah, I think it's a fascinating matchup, but um, I, I still was shocked to see them at number two in the CFP rankings. Like I thought that with the loss and with an undefeated Cincinnati, Oklahoma, uh, Michigan state out there that they would cruise in, in the like four to six range. Um, and it almost makes me wonder if the, if everything stays the same, can they go and lose a close game in Atlanta and still get in the playoffs? Because probably yeah. what we were talking, because of what we were talking about was just like, well, we know they have the most talent or the second most talent of anyone. So let's just put them in, which I hope that's not what college football becomes. Cause it's like, well, then what's the point, right? Right. Playing the game. And that's why you can't put Ohio um, State above Oregon. It's like we all think if they play that game 100 times, like Ohio State wins 100 or 99 times. But they lost the game on the field, so you you can't do that. Then what's the point of them playing? Right. And, and credit to them for, you know, holding on to that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was honestly surprised to see Michigan. I mean, like. Michigan's, Michigan's good. This is a different Michigan team. They are. No, no, I, I agree. But it's just like I'm surprised they ranked them at seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised that Oklahoma State is at number 11 because they haven't had any really 
good wins. Um, they fought hard in the Texas game. They, I watched that whole one. They came back. Their running back Warren's good. Spencer Sanders is atrocious, but um, right. I, I forgot who who they reminded me of. Um, they have a good defense. They're basically like the Saints. I think that was the comparison I made. We're like Sean Payton just being the offensive genius for years and years, and in the last two has just been like, uh, guess what? Dennis Allen, he's the guy running things here. We're going to be <laughs> a real defense the hell out of Yes, them. that's what we're going to do. And they, that's what Gundy did. It's like, yeah, you thought you had fun with uh, the the Yurchich, uh stuff from years ago, Zach Robinson. He's not walking through that door. No, we're done with that. Spencer Sanders, enjoy. Can he throw a downfield pass? Absolutely not. But guess what? doesn't matter. We're going to run Chuba Hubbard or insert Warren from Utah State here 40 times a game. That's it. That's what we're doing. Enjoy it. <laughs> go cowboys Fair speaking of and we'll wrap up here did you um have you read the jeff perlman book uh boys will be boys on the dallas cowboys era i have actually yeah it's been a long time but i i used to live in dallas my first job out of college was in dallas so i, I read it when i was there it's a great book a decade ago do you remember do you remember the jimmy johnson uh tidbit early on in the book about him at oklahoma state no, I don't. So before he took the uh, Miami job, he was he was like him and Barry Switzer were super cool, and Switzer was like, "Don't take uh, the." Or he was like encouraging him not to take the Miami job, I think, and mm-hmm. but someone in his circle where he was like he was going back and forth because he was winning and he was just like a god at Oklahoma State because um, of how hard it was to win there in Stillwater. And someone told him, like, you can't win a national title at uh, Oklahoma State, but you can at Miami. And that was it. He was done. Uh-huh. Isn't that just weird? Like, some people, they can just get in your ear and they're like, you know, you're like, you're good here. Like, Dan right. Mullen, you're having fun in Starkville, but like, you're not <laughs> winning in that. You understand that you can't build. There is a ceiling. Like, there's a point where you still can't. Like, Luke Fickle, you're doing something awesome at Cincinnati. You're not running a CFP gauntlet where you're beating Ohio State and then Georgia. You you know that, Scott right? Like, Frost, right? Yeah, like it's that whole thing where it's like that's not there is a ceiling and he was like, "Oh, right, I can go to Miami and just get the best players." Okay, cool. I'll I'll do that. And that's what he did. You know who's kind of in that position right now is uh Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. Yeah. Like you know, he's got a really good thing there. Another high quality of life job, no pressure mm-hmm. ever at all. Small school um, in FBS. Yeah, small school in the FBS. Um, you know, and like I was having this argument with someone earlier today because the TCU job came open and they were like, oh, well, you know, Dan Lanning could go there and recruit Texas and keep Zach Evans and all that. And I'm like, but is is it really a P5 job next year or, or two years from now whenever Texas and Oklahoma will, like leave? Like, you know, is there really a path to winning a national title there? Because I mean, they did, they did come close back in 2014. They they probably should have been in the CFP that year. Um, but it's just it's really interesting how the sands kind of shift in college football, where TCU was in the Mountain West in Convert USA, and Gary Patterson brought them into the Big 12 and did the shared title bullshit with Baylor back in 2014, and then all of a sudden it's like this is a big job. And now Texas and Oklahoma leave the conference and it's like, well, is it still a big job? Can you still win a national title there? And I don't know the answer. You know, I think a lot of that depends on kind of extenuating circumstances. But it's just amazing what like looking at these rankings come out because, I mean, Cincinnati does have a win over Notre Dame. 
you know. Um, and like Michigan State is eight and zero, but hell, they are you know they beat Nebraska by five points. Um, you know they've struggled with some bad teams, and I think the difference is they're in the Power Five and Cincinnati's not. So it's like where does that line get drawn with the new big 12? I think determines a lot of this discussion of like, is this, is this a job you stay at or not? Well, I think it's just going to be all about just getting in the playoff every four to five years, right? Like these jobs are just going to be about raising a banner every now and then they just want to be involved every now and then they want to do the 10, 11 year win window where it's like, okay, we won 10 games, 10 and two in the playoff. We won one game, lost the second one. Now we're back to eight and four for four to five years. And then we'll take another swing when we get the right recruiting class in for a couple of year stretch and we'll see what happens. Um, but like with the CFP expanding, like I think it's going to be good for the Boston colleges and the Wake Forest and whoever, because like they'll be able to say we were in the playoff. But it also encourages a, a lack of parity. Like there's no chance at this point um, if you expand that uh, a smaller school wins a national title. Like you you think it's hard to run a gauntlet right now with a two team playoff, like a two game playoff. Right. Wait until right. you try and do a three to four game playoff run with one of these schools, like. There's no I've had chance. I've argument with so many people, and they tell me, you know, it's bullshit that Cincinnati can't get in and all of that. And and I agree with that to a certain extent, but it's like, but if they did get in, they got a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, like... like in a 12-team playoff, they don't have a shot. Model. They never have a shot. Exactly. You, Yeah, especially if you're, you know, you're going on the road to Ohio State or Georgia or Alabama mm-hmm. in the first round. You don't have a shot. Um but in a one-game scenario, yes, like especially, I mean, Cardell Jones won a national title, man. Right. Uh, like if Georgia got upset by like Ohio State the first round and Cincinnati plays like Notre Dame or something and they win that, it's like oh, suddenly there is a path. There is a path, right. but there is no right. path with a twelve-team playoff. There's there's no path. I agree, and I also think that you know, looking at college football this year, I mean, I don't know that there's four teams that really could or should or are deserving of winning a national title and we're only in the first week of november you know what i mean and the um, games aren't even good like the first round's been bad most of the time like the games aren't oh, good until awful. the national yeah other aside from that georgia oklahoma rose bowl mm-hmm. we've really not had a good cfp semifinal um so yeah I, I think we're on the same page here man it's like let's just keep it at four i also just don't like the idea of like let's take the teams that have the best players. So by, you know, by logic, these teams should be filled with guys that are with, with a higher percentage of players that are going to do this for a living on the next level. And then let's go take more tread off their tires and add, you know, three to four games to the end of a 12 game season for them or a 13 game season in some cases. Like, yeah, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't think uh, it's a good idea to, have like a a running back like a, a Zamir White who probably has a good future at the NFL but also has had two ACL tears and in, in his career like I don't like the idea of adding on four or five more games for him you know um, or three or four if he if he gets a buy but yeah it's just there's money to be made so people are gonna try and make it all right that's a good way of ending today's today's podcast if there's money made people will go make it um i like it graham how do we keep up with you this week across dog sports and uh the youtube show 
Yeah, absolutely. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Dog Out West. Dog is obviously spelled with an A and a W. Um, you can find my video work uh, on the Dog Sports Live YouTube channel. Uh, that show is also broadcasted in audio format as a podcast on Apple and Spotify. Just search for Dog Sports Live and you will find it. Um, and yeah, as always, a lot of that work uh, and a lot of other great work by people that are smarter and, and better at what they do than me can be found on www.dogsports.com. So check us out there. All right. Go do that. Keep up the great work, sir. Thank you so much Thank for you. making the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.